1: Welcome to Mortification of Spin. We're so glad you joined us today. Uh, I'm Todd Pruitt and I'm joined as always by Amy Bird and Carl Truman and um, we've been uh, culling through uh, some of the great questions we've been getting from some of you, our many listeners, and uh, a bit overwhelmed by the number of great questions we get, but we shouldn't be surprised because we probably have the sharpest audience of any theological slash church slash spiritual slash reformed podcast out there. Just fantastic audience. And um, uh, one uh, question um that i thought was uh, uh was good really more of a request than a question uh comes from uh chad vegas out in california by the way anytime we mention chad vegas's name we do have to assure you that that is a real name it's not a pseudonym <laughs> and yes he has the coolest name in christendom it's like
2: johnny fontaine in the godfather we, we just
1: yeah, just all sad. imitators need to give up you're not going to come up with a better name than chad vegas that said uh along with several other good questions Chad asked, he did have this um, request that we bring Liam Gallagher back on to pick another fight on the doctrine of God. And uh, so, uh, Liam, if you're listening, and I know you are, think of some trouble you can cause, and then we'll be sure and give you a platform for that.
2: I'd like to say to Liam Gallagher, he might want to think twice about coming. This is no country for old men.
1: No country (laughs) for old men. Well, you know, but Liam does not dress like an old man. Uh, he dresses more like a, you know, a, a 24-year-old. I
3: know Carl takes his fashion tips from.
1: that. Yes, I have indeed learned from the
2: great Gollinger, yeah. particularly on the pants front.
1: Uh-huh. And see, and that's yes. what troubles me is because men's pants should be uh, two colors only. Either yeah,
2: we should hat. translate for the British audience, by the way, pants equals trousers. I trousers, have trousers, yes.
1: They should only be um, khaki colored or, or tan or, or black or charcoal gray.
3: Well, I mean, how many days of the year do you actually wear pants?
1: Well, I I wear uh, trousers very infrequently. Mostly, we're talking shorts, unless it's actually a good ten degrees below freezing. Then I'll put on some long pants. Yeah. So that's that's just the way I. You, you I need do.
2: you need to spend some time with Liam Gallagher. I, I think, uh, raise your game, man.
1: I could uh, I could find some uh, some Chardonnay colored pants or something. Yeah, yes.
3: and we're thinking, yes. like Carl mentioned, we need to come up with some like. Um, glossy posters of Liam to give for our giveaway. Yeah, when we, we, do. Him, you know?
2: we could humanize him, you know, have him, you know, helping an injured puppy, you know, oh, ushering an old lady idea. across uh-huh. the
1: road. Well, and Liam, uh, Liam being the pastor of a historic uh, tall steeple church, so to speak, surely has some uh, professional uh, glossies made, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I would, I, so. I would imagine so. Yeah, I mean, in fact, they've probably had a portrait painted of him. Okay, One of my favorite Liam
3: stories is when I was at his church and, you know, a 10th Presbyterian there, they have the big portraits of all the greats, you know, Donald, Donald Barnhouse. And then you see Boyce there and you're just Mm -hmm. like, wow, you know, Liam, where's yours? And, and he goes, well, you have to die to get. (laughs) And I'm like, oh yeah. And then he goes, but you do know that they were both preaching through revelation when they died. Oh, and I and he said, and guess what? I'm about to start preaching. Oh, on.
1: goodness. I'm
3: like, oh, no, Liam, don't do it. And he says, I'm going to get it right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, for, for those of you who may not know, uh, the, the great Donald Gray Barnhouse was a uh, was a, a, a dispensationalist, uh, mm-hmm. which at that time was not all that unusual among, in, in some reformed circles until. Uh, finally, we started thinking rightly on that issue. Yeah, and
3: the boys, he was like a classic pre-Millennial, right?
1: Yep, yep. Okay, so so let's jump in like this. How about this for a question? I thought this was a good one and ties into uh, some things that we've chatted about recently. Uh, But this comes from one of our listeners. With the public fall or removal of so many non-denominational pastors in recent years, what does the future... Of non-denominationalism look like in the U.S. Will we see greater interest in denominations, at least as a means of checks and balances uh, for its leadership? So, first of all, there, um, yeah, what uh, what might we see as uh, uh, any kind of a relationship if we're going to speak, kind of, by way of of making some yeah. prediction predictions I, um... of 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 the the scandals going on among, and, and not that there aren't. <laughs> scandals going on well, in denominational like, churches so but so but, but it comes down but, but but churches. but it, it it comes down to the um the well known ones i mean we're talking about um very well known influential non-denominational pastors have yeah, taken but some very like, public falls I mean, just,
3: just last year there were 380 church leaders in the southern baptist convention who had who had credible allegations of sexual abuse Right. Or sexual but, abuse cover-up.
1: Right, but I think them. the point... That's
3: like the biggest denomination we have.
1: Right, but I, I think the point of the question is, is that with the, the famous guys that have fallen, will it have, do we think, a, a, an impact on more people now considering a denomination? You're going to find these scandals wherever you go, but I think yeah, question is... I mean, is, there's some
3: famous people in the Anglican Church overseas, there's some right. famous PCA guys falling.
1: Right, but when you... But, but publicly, though, when you think about the big name guys recently here in the U S we tend to come to the same names and they're, and they're very often non-denominational guys. That, that part is true. I don't think anybody's going to dispute whether or not we've got plenty of, uh, uh, knuckleheads in denominational churches. I think the question is given the, the, the high public profile of several of these non-denominational ministries and leaders, from from Willow Creek to Harvest to, to to Mars Hill and others, I mean, you think about the Willow Creek situation. Willow Creek has gone from just five or six years ago from a, um, a membership of, of fifteen thousand or more to now they're running um, six thousand. Now six thousand is a big church, but Willow Creek has taken. I mean, Willow Creek is in real trouble. Yeah. Um, What's happened at Harvest? What's what's been happening uh, in in the leadership of of Acts twenty nine? The complete um, explosion of of the the complete explosion of of Mars Hill in Seattle.
3: I mean Acts twenty nine and like Sovereign Grace. I guess they're not considered denominations, but they're not. What what are they then? Because
1: they're they're associations.
3: An association of independent churches. Yeah,
1: yeah, they're associated. I mean, which is really what the Southern Baptist Convention is. Yeah, it's, I, called, it's called a denomination, but it does not operate like a denomination. It's not a so, real So, I mean, I think we have
3: to answer some of those questions, too. You know, I don't know. There's layers of questions when you're talking about non-denominational and
1: yeah. So, so, structure. Yeah, but, yeah, so, I mean, I would just say, um, broadly speaking, a, a denomination is going to have um, a system of accountability and agreed upon confession of faith, um, some kind of ordination standards, etc.,
2: so strong connectionalism.
1: Very strong connectionalism, yeah. 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 Uh,
2: I wonder if if the scandals will cause people to, to move in the direction of denominations. Uh, a number of reasons make me think that probably won't be the case. One, there's a strong anti-denominational feel uh, or ethos to <clears throat> to American evangelicalism where People tend to root their identities in the the para church umbrella organizations rather than the the denomination. Secondly, I wonder the statistics. They're interesting, the statistics coming from Willow Creek, but it would be interesting to know how many of those people had gone to other churches and how many had simply abandoned the faith. Because Mm -hmm. when you have a a large church typically built around the strong personality of a leader or a group of leaders, and those leaders, are caught in some sort of moral or theological or uh, ethos kind of crisis or scandal, uh, my my instincts are that a lot of people may just walk away from the faith at that point. That raises theological questions at, at a more abstract level, I suppose, about perseverance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, I wonder how many of the of the nine thousand or so who disappeared from Willow Creek are attending other churches, and how many of them mm-hmm. simply decided. It's all a scam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can get what I need from the Boy Scouts or mm-hmm. the local community groups. Right. So that's that's and that's not a cynical comment about people going to Willow Creek. By the way, it's it's a genuine. Unless we know where those people are going to, it's hard to draw significant conclusions mm-hmm. from yeah. a mere change or shift in numbers. Dramatic as that shift is.
1: Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't see this. Um, I would be very surprised if this caused any kind of a trend towards Christians being more deliberate in seeking out a church with a with a real actual denominational uh, connection, just because it works against autonomy,
0: yeah.
1: um, and and people don't like to give any of that up. I served for a period of time once in my life in a in a non denominational church, and and there was a great deal of pride taken in their non denominationalism. Uh, as though that was uh, a more spiritual position to take, and, and you'll often hear these things, uh, the, these kind of lines of, uh, well, you've got to leave your denominational baggage at the door when you join our church, or Jesus never created denominations, or, or there's no denominations in the Bible. Those kinds of easily refutable types of objections, yeah. Yeah. but but they're very, but they have a very compelling narrative behind them, yeah, and and I just don't see that. Changing.
3: Uh, So, and and these aren't high-profile cases. So, I mean, you're not going to hear a lot about these. But you know, I've I've known a number of churches who've actually left a denomination because even though the denominational structure is supposed to function in a certain way, you know, the men in that denomination, the leaders in it, have to be. You know, it's only as good as the people who are going to follow it the right way. mm. So, you know, being abused even in their own denomination it's kind of like the the avenue that'll hurt the church the least is to actually step out of the denomination.
1: Yeah. I remember talking to some folks in a non-denominational church one time, and the reason they gave for joining a non-denominational church was that they had left different liberal denominations. And so therefore did not trust denominations to be good stewards of biblical doctrine, Mm -hmm. which was an interesting, Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard it that way, before, but that was interesting.
3: There's so many reasons.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: The other side of it as well, I think we we need to be aware that I'm guessing most people in our denominations are not there because they're denominations. A lot Mm -hmm. of people are attached to churches because it happens to be the church in their locale or they happen to have friends who went there or they were made very welcome when they walked through the door. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to. We shouldn't think that all of the people in denominations are committed denomination
1: people. Exactly. Uh,
2: I I think that the whole notion of church commitment tends to be far more complicated than an intellectual commitment to this polity or this particular confession of faith.
1: Right. And, I mean, we've talked, it's been a while, but we've talked about the issue of denominationalism before. And, you know, I think we all agree that denominationalism is wise. You know, we're not going to have denominations in heaven, but we, we probably need them uh, so long as we're south of heaven, uh, just because the greater clarity we can get on issues, the better and, and the better it serves for uh, for unity. And, and also, in as much as plenty of knuckleheads find their way into leadership in denominational churches, denominations that otherwise have a pretty good track record and an excellent polity, at least with a denomination, if it's a good denomination and properly ordered with, with a clear book of church order or whatever they may call it there's at least mechanisms in place that we can use. Um, again, it's a sinful world, and so there's going to be sinful congregants, sinful pastors, um, uh, but a, a denomination, a well-ordered biblical denomination, I, I still think is the best game in town in terms of, of responding to difficulties when they arise. I think one of the things that would have served the Southern Baptist Convention well is if they'd actually functioned like a genuine denomination, with, with real structure denominationally, a real kind of book of church order and real meaningful connectionalism.
2: Yeah. I mean, we've said it many times before, but a, a confession of faith and a book of church order, they're good things to look for when you join a church because they delimit the power of the leadership. They they enable the congregation to hold the leadership to account uh, and they also protect the leadership when they need to be protected from the, the congregation. Mm-hmm. So, as you wouldn't move to a country, a nation, where there was no law code, don't move to a church where there's no book of church right. order, I would say.
1: Yeah. Hey, let me ask this one. I had somebody submit a question about the, 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 the relatively smaller size of Reformed congregations. I don't know if we can say that. I mean, the, 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 the typical congregation in America, the last statistics I saw was around hundred. So, I mean, if you're in a church of 400, you're in a relatively speaking, a large church, as, as hard as that is to imagine if you live in Houston, Texas. But that's true. As we think about the landscape of genuine mega churches, churches whose average attendance is at least 2,000, um, we see relatively few reformed mega churches. Again, uh, attendance of at least 2,000. Now, any ideas as to why that might be?
2: Well, obviously, if you're preaching the truth, you're not going to be attractive to vast numbers of people. Yeah. <laughs> That's well, slightly facetious. But uh, I think there's a model of ministry that mm-hmm. one can, you know, ministry does not exist in isolation from theology. And there is a mm-hmm. model of ministry that uh, is, that the reform faith stands for, which is better executed on the whole in a smaller context. That's mm-hmm. not to say that all our churches are small because of their philosophy of ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think that, uh, if you take community, word, sacrament seriously, that's going to impose some kind of natural restriction on the on the numbers, or is going to require extra proactive thinking about how to achieve those things.
3: I know, and something in our church as a, a continual conversation too is, you know, at what point do you want to go ahead and help plant? Church, when you get to a certain number Mm -hmm. instead of just becoming a big church yourself, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but to be able to plant another sister church um, Mm -hmm. and you know in the city or in a nearby city and take some of the the leaders that we have to help and to Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the goal isn't always to become you know bigger and bigger and bigger ourselves, but maybe to help serve the areas around us in the best ways possible by doing some plants as well
1: right, right and that and that raises another issue here which i think again might play into this this reality of of reformed churches uh, typically not being among the megachurch category. There's a few exceptions. There's a few large, but but they're but they're very rare, and they're certainly not in the OPC. Am I right? Um, well, they're but, in but,
2: Harrisonburg, Virginia. We know <laughs> that. No, <This> we, <laughs> we are not a megachurch. <laughs> we are not a You're a megachurch, a
1: megachurch man. Megachurch. Nope. Come nope. on. Nope. No, <laughs> like the Rick Warren of the P.C.S. <laughs> we, we 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 would, we would. I'm not going to argue with hey, that. Hey, when
3: you anyway, get a pastor <laughs> of hospitality. I, I, the,
1: the, other, the other thing you have to have is, um. well, I, I think, what, what's often true about some of the big, big mega, mega churches is that they are a multi-campus model very often, which again, if you're a genuinely reformed church, you're, you're not crazy about that model.
2: Yeah. That you goes know, to my first point about the kind of ministry.
1: Exactly. Exactly. You don't, you don't pipe the, the the pastor in via video. Um, and, and, you know, you've mentioned this before, Carl, they would never do that with the band.
2: No, I mean, that's they would the never do that with thing.
1: the band. Yeah, exactly. Because what's happened in a lot of, Broadly evangelical churches is that while they eschew um, uh, sacramentalism, um, they actually do have a sacrament, and it's called the praise band. It's called their music, and that's the one thing they have to have live every single service. Um, they don't have to have the preaching live. Um, they don't. There, there's all kinds of things that we would say need to be a part of the service that they, that they don't, but you know, the the sacrament of music has to be present. And again, if you're a thoughtfully reformed church, that that's going to prohibit you other than maybe in some really extraordinary circumstances, that's going to prohibit you from doing the, the, the the satellite congregations, the multi campuses and that kind of thing. Um, and then, and then also probably this idea of, you know, American Christians still tend to be, Maybe not as bad as it was 15 or 20 years ago, but still tend towards a doctrinal minimalism, which, you know, if you come to a reformed church, you're going to get a big, thick, rightfully so, confessional standards, you know, confession of faith and, and, and catechisms. And there are a lot of American evangelicals who just don't like that.
2: And America is a culture where big is beautiful as well. There is, that is a, true. The, the idea of of size. Yep. Um, on the other hand, I you know I do think you know particularly in the OPC we need to be careful of seeing our smallness yes. as a sign of fidelity. I do remember Todd when uh, my, when Cornerstone went over. 99 people in attendance. I remember you asking me, you know, okay, so which, which essential aspect of the faith are you soft peddling on? <laughs> That's to attract right. So many people. Right. Uh, but uh, but you know, we, we joke about that. But there are mm-hmm. elements within the reform world that instinctively see smallness as Mm -hmm. being a blessing. Mm -hmm. Now, one has to be very careful here because smallness is not a sign that the Lord is not blessing you. And smallness may well be the result of taking a faithful stand Mm -hmm. on something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I think to default to the small is beautiful, small is faithful right. model, which, you know, I, I feel in myself to some extent. Sure. Uh, we need to be aware that that too is, is as problematic as the idea of, of size as I blessing. Agree. So, you know, in answer to that question, one could say, well, perhaps in some cases it's because the gospel has been narrowed mm-hmm. beyond biblical bounds. Right, uh, and perfectly good Christians are being kept out mm-hmm. because the gospel is being presented in a truncated yeah. uh, form. So, you know, it's, it's a hard balance. And every mm-hmm. church, there's probably a reason why every church is the size it is, and it's difficult to generalize across. Mm-hmm. But certainly in in, in the, the kind of circles where I operate in the OPC, uh, smallness might be seen as a sign of, uh, of yeah. truth and faithfulness, you know, which it very well could be, or it very mm-hmm. well might not be.
0: Right. right.
3: The, the charismatic church, you know, they kind of have, you know, we uh, critique this kind of like second blessing, you know, and they have like first and second class yep. Christians, you know, according to whether they can speak in tongues or whatever. And I'm seeing that wave stirred up in the reformed church now. Um, they're the TRs, the truly reformed. Mm-hmm. And they do hold to some interesting tenets with that. So there's there's all the suddenness well you're not really reformed unless you embrace these extra confessions that yeah. aren't in our confessions. <clears throat> and, and so that's happening in the reformed church as well.
1: Mm-hmm. I think in some ways it happens everywhere. So and, yeah. and, and it all depends on who's who's using the term. So I can take you to some folks in the PCA where in order to be a TR you, you it means uh, well I can take you to some presbyteries who if if as a an incoming pastor or uh, someone coming under care that kind of thing doesn't claim any exceptions to the Westminster Confession of Faith, you're seen with suspicion because you might be one of those TRs who actually just, and, and there's even a word in my denomination among some about those who don't take exceptions to the Westminster Confession of Faith. They're being called reformed fundamentalists. Now there might, you know, there's no doubt there are some real jerks who hold a very high view of our confession of faith and don't claim any exceptions to it. But, you know, as someone who doesn't take any exceptions to our, you know, Westminster Confession of Faith, it's odd that I'm treated with uh, suspicion because of that.
2: I would just point out that uh, any American who doesn't take an exception at any point has not read the Confessions and Catechism, <laughs> because there is, I think, a contradiction between the Larger Catechism and the Confession on the civil magistrates. They they forgot to revise the Larger Catechism, I think, on the civil magistrates. So, anybody who takes no exceptions actually hasn't read the documents.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, we we will we will bring that. We'll, we'll shed more light on that. Thanks for bringing that up, Carl. Now the next question is this.
2: Oh, changing Um, the subject. Oh, yeah, very quickly.
1: We've done
2: mega churches. We've done Todd hasn't read the documents properly. Okay, where are we going?
1: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I I do want to apologize to our listeners (laughs) for my obnoxious (laughs) friend. Um, So how about this, Carl? You you worked in a seminary one time. What's the proper role of academic freedom in a seminary?
2: I have no, when did I work at this? I
1: no <laughs> I'm, re- so, I'm sorry, Senator, I have no recollection of that. <laughs> um, what's the proper uh, role of academic freedom in a seminary? Does it, are there limitations to academic freedom if you're, if you're teaching in a seminary? Now, Carl, yeah. hold. I, I do have to follow this up. Carl, you, you once taught at a, uh, a seminary that, that had over the years, even before you got there, <laughs> had over the years its share of, of doctrinal controversies. Yeah, am, yeah. am I right?
2: You did, you did. Yeah. And uh, they've continued since I've left, so right. you can tell that I am not essential <laughs> to the problem.
1: Uh, right. Clearly, uh, the control
2: <laughs> indicates that it's not a Truman issue. Right. Um, I think the, you know, the, the short answer, an easy answer, is of course there are limits in a seminary. The seminary is, to use the language of the market, is selling itself to a constituency on the basis that it teaches in a certain way. Mm -hmm. typically in in reformed uh, seminaries relative to the three forms of unity or the Westminster standards. And if you raise money or recruit students on the basis that that's what you teach, and then that isn't what you do not teach, you teach contrary to that, then you're raising money and recruiting students under false pretenses. That's not saying anybody's doing that. I'm just saying that's that's, That's what it is. That is what would apply. I think it gets more complicated in that every seminary has its own culture, Mm -hmm. Uh, Every seminary has a board of trustees, and sometimes it becomes difficult to know where the, what I would call the extra confessional distinctives lie relative to uh, academic freedom. Uh, So if you've got a board that is theologically incompetent or corrupt in some way, uh, they may well misunderstand bits of the confession and, you know, if you have an administration that, that uh, is looking at its donor base mm-hmm. relative to certain personalities rather than certain doctrines, then that makes it more complicated. Um, that's not to say you know any of this has happened, but it is to say that the, the environment of, uh, of a not-for-profit seminary is more complicated typically than just the statement of faith. And mm-hmm. that's where the academic freedom, I think, gets particularly uh, difficult and awkward. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not the written confession that's the problem. It's the unwritten confession mm-hmm. that becomes mm-hmm. Invisible problem. Fences. Yeah, so I would answer to that question. There have to be limits for the sake of honesty in marketing. And nobody has to work at a seminary. Right. Uh, it, it's not it's not the same as being a citizen of the nation. Nobody has to work at a seminary. Uh, and uh, for the sake of integrity, the seminary should not advertise itself as as teaching one thing and then teaching another. A Presbyterian seminary, for example, should not raise money from Presbyterians and then teach believers baptism only in the classroom it's not illegal to teach believers baptism only Mm -hmm. but it would be dishonest of a presbyterian seminary so to do right
1: Right. and you know pastors uh, need to you know we we refer people to seminaries all the time and i want to know you know that that the, the seminary or the seminaries that i'm encouraging um young men who are headed towards the pastorate um I, I want to know that those seminaries are faithful to what they say they're faithful to. Yeah. If, if they say we are a reformed seminary, uh, we're pre, you know, we teach Presbyterian ecclesiology, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, then I want to know that that's actually what's going on in the classrooms.
2: Yeah. I mean, I get asked at Grove to write, occasionally write references for students to seminaries and I'll write uh, references for students going to seminaries that hold to different theological opinions to myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the key for me always in talking with those students is, you know, is this seminary honest? Is, mm-hmm. is, you know, do you know what you're getting into is right. what they're saying on their web page and their confession documents is that's what you're going to get in the classroom? Because again, to use crude market language, you want to know you're getting what you paid for and not yeah. something
1: else. Right. So, it's, it's honesty and integrity. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah.
2: Well, great. I hope uh, uh, rambling answers to your interesting questions have shed some light on these subjects. And uh, we encourage you to go and visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, where you'll find more resources on uh, these kind of things. Uh, There is a button there that allows you to donate to this podcast, if you so wish. And also, you have a chance to enter to win a book. Uh, It's a few years old now, but it's a a good book that I think will probably help those thinking about seminary uh, to get a good handle on the kind of things to look for. It's by Derek Cooper. Uh, It's entitled, So You're Thinking About Going to Seminary, An Insider's Guide?, and if you're thinking of going to seminary and, and are not lucky enough to win a copy of that from our website, I would certainly recommend that you think about purchasing it because it will address all of the issues we've talked about uh, relative to seminary today and then some as you think about making what could be a very, very important decision. In the meantime, I'd just like to thank you for being with us this week and look forward to uh, speaking uh, with you again next week. You're looking good, just like a snake in the grass. These days,
0: you're gonna break Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... If
1: you're able, legally, to have some people who can handle a firearm very responsibly and safely there's nothing inherently unbiblical about having a means to respond to an armed evildoer walking into your church.
0: That interview is next time. Join us then.
2: Hey, just uh, as a creepy comment on death you know that in yeah. my winterim course I referred to three people uh, Neil Peart from Rush the rock band Rush Christopher Tolkien son of J.R.R. and Roger Scruton to me one of the greatest writers and thinkers of the last 50 years nice. All three of them died within 24 hours of me referring to them what? Wow. Isn't- isn't that creepy,
1: man? Well, no, that is creepy.
2: I have
1: I, I have a, a list kind of names. Nemesis power. I, I have a list of names that I might want to have you discuss pass them on to me. Too.
2: I will <laughs> recommend them in my classes, <laughs> and they will be done for. <laughs>